So we are getting to a new portion in the Sermon on the Mount. Uh, just a little backtrack to remind us. So when we started the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus does a few things. First, well, we have to. We'll, we'll we'll start off by this, just as a reminder. The context of the Sermon on the Mount is the kingdom of heaven. It makes no sense outside of the kingdom of heaven. Uh, yes, we can find practical application in for this world, but its purpose and foundation comes back to God and His kingdom. Uh, we see, as he starts with the Beatitudes, he lays out the characteristics, the character of the citizens of the kingdom of heaven. And not in a sense of, hey, if you want to be a part of us, you got to act like this. But in the sense of, hey, if you're a part of us, this is what you're being made into. This is what I'm conforming you to. This is what you are being progressively made like, being made like Christ. And we see then after that, um, that as we are being made into this image, we're being transformed. Uh, we're examples. We're light. We're a city on a hill. And then in the next section we see Jesus reestablishing a true understanding of righteousness. And not that He's come to redefine it, but He's come to remind and to show the reality, the truth of God's definition and intention in true righteousness. And that He gets to, it's not skin deep. It invades the heart. And that's kind of where we've been for the last few weeks is what Christ-likeness, what true righteousness appears like, not just on the surface, but within the heart. That we are, we are transformed internally. We talked of uh, murder on the external but anger being in the internal, uh, adultery uh, outwardly, lust inwardly. We've talked about um, the call to marriage and the what God's intentions were. We talked about oaths. We talked about um, leaving justice in the hands of God and not seeking vengeance or retaliation or retribution within ourselves. And we spent a long time talking about loving our enemies. And these are all things of true righteousness that really is internal. And then we get to this new section this week in chapter 6 where righteousness takes an outward form. Where it's really seen. And one thing we'll get to in, in, in my translation, it says practicing your righteousness. Faith being expressed 
before others. And the three things that we see in chapter 6 that we'll go over as we go through this chapter is giving specifically to the needy, prayer, and fasting. And we'll see as we go through this section that Jesus isn't telling them to do it, to, to give, to pray, and to fast. His expectation is that they are doing it. Throughout this whole section, you will see when you pray, when you give, when you fast, there is an, there's already an expectation that they are participating in these actions, right? And, and this section is going to be a sort of a one, a warning on how not to do it, and then two, a guide to how to do it. And so we'll have to balance those as we walk through this chapter. The warning, but then the how-to. Um, and we also have to remember as we go through these three, these three practices, and you're going to hear me call them that, um, these expressions of our faith, uh, we have to remember as we look at these three things, while they are external, we're practicing our righteousness before others, we're seen by others, these things have a, what I would like to call a holy, as in, um, a divine, a righteous origin within the heart of a true believer, right? These are external, these are ex outward expressions, giving, prayer, and fasting of what is actually taking place internally. So we're talking about the practice of things, but we have to remember that the outward is a product of the inward. So just, uh, and we'll get to what those inward ideas might be. Um, but these done the way Christ is telling us to, they come from a new heart. They come from the new birth. They come from the Holy Spirit. Right? We have to always keep that in mind as we think through this. Now, there, we, before we get to, we're going to get to one verse this week. Uh, as more of the introduction, verse 1. And then we'll, we'll hit prayer. I'm, I'm sorry, uh, giving. And then prayer. And then fasting. Uh, but the elephant in the room in verse 1, we've got to address first. If you've read, if you're reading the King James Version, yours read very differently from mine in verse 1. Let me read it again. Uh, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people. And the King James Version says uh, something, take heed uh, of when you do your alms. Or don't, I can't remember if it's a positive or a negative, do or do not do your alms. Do not your alms. And, it, it, and so I want to address why it might have a different translation. First and foremost, we're all reading translations. 
right? We have to remember that. It's not the original, right? It's, the original was in Greek. What was written down by, the, by Matthew was given to him by God through the Holy Spirit, and he wrote it in Greek. Now, if you've ever dealt with other translating, like someone speaking Spanish or any other language, it's not always one-to-one, right? That's one thing we always have to keep in mind. It's not always like, oh, that word means exactly this word in English. It doesn't always work out that way. And so we will see different interpretation translations just based on the fact that English doesn't match up with Greek perfectly, number one. Number two, and what I think is the case in this one, and I'll tell you, I looked and looked and looked, and no one was talking about the difference. And I think I know why. I've mentioned this before. The translation I'm reading, the ESV, the NIV, uh, the NLT, the, all, the, all, the, uh, all these more modern um, translations, the NASB, they all are based on manuscripts, Greek manuscripts, that were found after the King James Version was written. So they, they found these manuscripts after the King James Version was written, but these manuscripts actually were older than the manuscripts that were used for the King James Version. Following? So what they, what people who are way smarter than me in trying to figure out how to translate the Bible, they have rules that they have to apply. And one of them, if it's an older manuscript, it's probably more accurate, right? If it's closer to when Matthew wrote it, it's probably, it's like the telephone game, you know? It's had less less humans to go through. Uh, and there, and, and there, it's pretty evident if you study the way they translate, there are actually scribes who had, over time, they would see something written in a, in a manuscript and they were copying it for the sake of whatever reason. And they would be like, oh, Matthew could have said that better if he just would have said it this way. And they would take a truth about God or the Scripture and, and maybe write it a little bit different with the hopes of like, we're just giving clarity to, to what's written. And so at, over time that happens more and more. But So when we find a manuscript that's older, then more than likely by the rules of translation, we want to go with the older and there are a lot of other ones you can look into. It's very interesting. So I think the reason why I couldn't find anything on this. So, for example, we did have a, a difference in translation in f- chapter 5 in verse 21. And my Bible actually tells me that there is a difference in some of the manuscripts. Um I'm sorry, verse 22. It says, for my little note, some manuscripts insert without cause. And that's the newer manuscripts. They insert without cause. Um, my Bible doesn't give me a footnote in chapter 6, verse 1, that says, some, some say this, 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 and this. Uh, I think 
all of the newer man or the newer older manuscripts are so in agreement on chapter six verse one that they haven't had to make a footnote. They haven't had to try to explain it. And when you really actually think about it, the way it it, it is changed, it's really saying the same thing as well. So I just want you, you just have to understand that, that just because the version that I'm reading or someone else is reading says something different, doesn't make the Bible inaccurate, doesn't make the Bible untrustworthy. It's just an English translation, right? And we have to work through that, but also know that God's word is true. And we can also take, uh, take heart in knowing that those who translated the Bible um, have gone through much time, much prayer, and have, have given, us, um, given us something that we can stand firm on. But there's no one translation that is more holy than the other. We must all understand that. If you don't bring a certain Bible translation to church, that makes you no less of a Christian. And you're not going to get any more revelation out of one translation than another. Not going to happen. So don't, don't hold that you have to have a certain translation. Now, there are some that you need to stay away from. And if you want to know more about those, come talk to me later. Okay, so I've gone way too far into that. Let's, let's get going. Let me read verse 1. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Okay, so for those of you who are taking notes, our first area to discuss here is the word beware. Um, I didn't think I would spend much time on this, but as I started going, uh, there's a lot we can take from this one word, beware. For those who are needing help spelling, that's B-E-W-A-R-E, the girls. So beware. It's a word of caution, right? Beware. Uh, We all are most familiar with the sign, beware of dogs, right? You, You know what that means. You know what it's telling you. You walk up to a house. You walk up to a property. You see a sign that says beware of dogs. What is that? You, you stop. I'm like, oh, oh, okay. I'm going to look. Yeah. And you're kind of hesitant to knock on the door, right? Or maybe you just see it as you pull up the driveway. And before you get out of the car, you're just kind of searching around. What are you doing? You're showing caution. Because you've been told, beware. Same goes for all the caution signs that we see on highways, right? There are tons of them. And there are many kinds of them. And what's the point? It's to draw your attention that there could be some sort of problem if you are not paying attention. If you don't take heed to the caution, you might end up in trouble. Same with a dog. Beware of dog. If you're not cautious and you're acting silly, you might get bit. If you don't take caution when you're going down a mountain and you're not 
You're not looking at those signs that says you probably need to go 25 around this curve. If you're not taking those seriously, it could be potentially harmful. Caution is to bring about your alertness to a potential danger, and therefore you need to react in that a certain way to avoid that danger. That's what Jesus is saying. He's saying, hello, there's potential caution here. I need you to pay attention to avoid the danger. So, if you've been a teenager, you've been given many words of caution in your life. Right? And what do your parents say? Heed what I'm saying. Listen to what I'm saying. And our response is, you don't know what you're talking about. And then one day, right, it like clicks. You're like, ah, I could have taken heed sooner and avoided some of those things that I was being cautioned about. All right? So we, we understand the idea of what Jesus is doing. And he uses this word, Jesus himself. This word shows up in Matthew six times, the Greek word. And of five of six, do you know who he is addressing or the topic that he is addressing? Hypocrisy. Beware of hypocrisy. And of those five out of six times, he's directing it towards the hypocrisy within the Jews, specifically among their leaders. Right? But why is the warning necessary? Why is Jesus giving a warning? And yes, it's to, as we've defined in general, to show need of caution. But what is the, the matter, what is in the matters of practicing our faith, practicing our righteousness? What is it? What does he want us to be cautious of? And of course, the answer is clear. It's sin. And that's very vague, and I understand. Um, so we're talking about people who are, get this, these people are giving to the needy. They give to the needy. They pray. And they fast. I wonder if we could check all those things off for the last week, or the last month, or the last year. These are things that are expected of a citizen of the kingdom of heaven. But the issue at hand is those three things do not give you credence, does not give you approval to be in the kingdom of heaven. They are evidence that you have been brought in to the kingdom of heaven. Uh, Even though they are outward, again, I want us to understand they are inward exp- or they are outward expressions of what is taking place inwardly giving if you're giving to the needy in the true sense what are you doing you're expressing love where does that come from within if you're in prayer true prayer what is that an expression of dependency 
humility. If you are fasting, what's that an expression of? But trust, faith, and the one who provides to you. And I mean, and you can lump all three of those into expressions of love for God and others and faith in God. Uh, our acts of faith, though, our acts of faith, our practices of righteousness, they're not exempt from the dangers of sin. You can sin while giving to the needy. You can sin while you pray. And you can sin while you starve yourself for God. And that's what we have to understand is that the outward things are just as much tainted, could just as much be tainted by sin because they are coming out from us. The motivations of your giving, of your prayer, of your fasting, those motivations have to come from your heart. Now, what did we talk about last Sunday in Sunday school? We said, Jeremiah said, that the heart is deceitful. Your heart is deceitful. The human heart is deceitful above all things. Desperately sick. Who can understand it? That's where our motivations come from. Right? So, why are we giving to the needy? Why are we praying this way? Or why are we praying these words? Why am I, why am I not feeding myself? Is their motivation for these things right? Do they have a holy, H-O-L-Y, a holy origin within our hearts, within the Spirit of Christ that dwells within us? That's really what we're trying to look at over these next 18 verses. The motivation for our practicing righteousness. So practicing righteousness, our faith in action, our faith visible, right? That's what, when I, when I say practicing our righteousness, I'm saying what is coming from the living faith that is in us. But there is the possibility that you do it without a living faith. There is the possibility that even for those who are in Christ to get caught up in the show, in, in wicked motivation. And so it is a warning not just to unbelievers or hypocrites like the, 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 the Pharisees who were not of God, but it is also a warning, it is also a warning to us. Beware. All Scripture, I'm still on beware, by the way. All Scripture, all, I'm sorry, all throughout Scripture, we find warnings. And what is the warnings of? There's, it's warnings of sin. It's warnings of the deception of our heart. Paul says to the Colossians, he says, 
as, a, as, as he's like defining his ministry. He says, Him, Christ, we proclaim. How? Warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. So Paul's proclamation of Christ in the gospel comes with warning and teaching so that people can become like Christ. The scriptures are constantly warning us. Here we go. Sin will kill you. It will put you to death. He tells the Romans, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. So here, he's writing to the church of Rome, who's probably in prayer, who's probably giving, and is probably fasting. And he says, if you do those things in the flesh, you will die. Because what are you showing? That the Spirit of God is not leading you. And if the Spirit of God is not leading you, then the Spirit of God may not dwell in you. And if the Spirit of God does not dwell in you, you cannot claim the promise He then states afterwards that you are a child of God. And that's a warning. It's a negative declaration for the hopes of a positive result. So when, when Christ or an apostle gives a warning, what is the hope? One, avoidance or awareness to avoid. Two, awareness of, oh, I'm doing the wrong thing. Repentance. Avoidance or repentance. Those are the hopes of warnings from the Scriptures. Uh, I'm going to skip the rest of this portion but I want you to understand that the warnings are there so that you might live the danger is real church attendance does not kill sin empty prayers does not kill sin Giving to the needy and hypocrisy does not kill sin. There's one thing that kills sin. It's the blood of Christ. It's the blood of Christ. And when you have received the blood of Christ, you are armed to fight sin. You are armed to fight sin. So, let's move on. That's beware. I mean, it's a big word. Because of what the what we cannot underestimate, we cannot underestimate sin. I got to read it. I'm sorry, I wasn't going to. I, w I want you to hear. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter three. Hebrews chapter three, starting in verse twelve. Now you have to understand, Hebrews is also um, written for the sake of the church, for the sake of believers, 
And in verse 12, the writer addresses brothers. So we can know for certainty that this is addressed to people who are professing Christians. Verse 12. Take care, brothers. Notice I said professing. They've said it. Right? We can all say things, but that does not make them true. And this is where warnings are helpful to help us to see if what we say is actually true. Take care, brothers, lest, lest is a word of, uh, just word that means um, so that there is not. I, it's, that's how I usually read it if I, if I come to the word lest. So there will not be any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. That is the danger of sin. It's deceptive and it will draw you away from the living God. But exhort one another. Here's the positive. Exhort one another every day as long as it is called today. Why? That none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin, for we have come to share in Christ if, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Now let's just stop there. We know when, and I have to say this because I need you to understand this, when the Spirit of God dwells in someone, has saved them, has justified them. They are in the hands of God the Father and the Son by the indwelling of the Spirit and they will never be removed. So when we read something like this, this warning, this declaration, it is revealing those who might be in the presence of the living God but does not have him dwelling inside of him. And we have to hold that balance. We have to live there. And that's the purpose of that text is for that the church can encourage one another, exhort one another, as long as today is today, so that you and I won't get tricked up by sin and Satan. That's why we come together. That's why we disciple one another. That's why we form relationships is for the sake of one another's souls, for the sake of one another's uh, becoming more like Christ and fighting sin. All right, let's, let's move on. So what's the caution in our text? Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. Again, we see the word hypocrisy as we start to go through the rest of this section. Uh, when they talk about praying, he talks about the hypocrites in the synagogues. When he talks about um, 
praying again, or I mean, yeah, when he talks about giving, he talks about the hypocrites in the synagogues. He talks about praying. He talks about the hypocrites on the synagogues and in the street corners. When he talks about fasting, uh, does he mention hypocrites? Yes. Don't uh, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites as they're out among the people. The caution, the caution in our text is is pointed towards hypocrisy. And let's just define hypocrisy as this. What is seen is not who you truly are. When you are showing yourself of one thing and you are not that, you are a hypocrite. So what are these hypocrites doing? They're showing themselves as what? Good, righteous, members of this kingdom. And if they're hypocrites, what are they really not? They're not. They're putting on a show. That's hypocrisy. And the point of the matter, if you are trying to display your righteousness before men in order to be seen, we can say this. It is not righteousness you're displaying, but actually wickedness. If you are making a point to display some good work, you aren't displaying righteousness, but evil. And that's the point of the matter. The issue at hand, to act in this manner, actually, to act in this manner to where you want to show off your righteousness is to act in a manner where you take ownership you take credit of your own righteousness. Now, I don't, I don't, if you read through the Psalms, you see a lot of language where David might say, my righteousness, uh, where he's referring to the righteousness that he possesses, right? And Jesus specifically says here, practicing your righteousness. Now, one thing we know for sure, one thing we know for sure is that someone with true righteousness, or as the old writers used to say, someone with true religion, which I think some of the old versions actually say practicing your religion, someone with true religion, with true righteousness, with true faith, where do they, what do they point to? They don't say, this is not my righteousness on display, but this is the righteousness of God in and through me. All who have true righteousness do not point to self, but point upward. And when we put ourselves on display, we're saying, this is something I have made. This is something that I can display that is mine. And what is that? That's pride. Paul says, and we've read it before, Paul says to the Philippians, I'm found in Christ, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law. What's that mean? From, from doing. From doing what he... He doesn't have a righteousness of his own that comes from, from himself. But that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. So I don't know if Jesus is using his words here 
when he says, beware of practicing your righteousness, as if he's saying, almost sarcastically. But I, I think the point is that they are claiming righteousness of themselves. That as they act, they are acting on their behalf, showing how good am I. Uh, David, David says, I believe it's in Psalm 4, when he's crying out to God, he says, O God of my righteousness. O God of my righteousness. And the reality is, Paul, seriously? Righteous? Do you remember what he used to do? David? Righteous? Seriously? Do you remember his sins? It cannot be theirs. It cannot. It must come from Christ. And yes, David's righteousness was the righteousness of Christ. Thousands of years later. Yes. So here's the caution. Uh, Two ways to break it up. And I've touched on this in the beginning. Beware of the trap of thinking you have made yourself something before God or man. Beware that you have made yourself something before God or man. I don't care if it is given to the needy or ace in a test. Who gets the credit? The Lord God. Every good gift comes from above, from the perfect Father of lights. This is the exact opposite of Christ's likeness. Right? To, to think of yourself as something before God or man is the exact opposite of what Christ did. He humbled himself, right? He humbled himself who was perfectly good, yet we who are sinners have no right, even as Christians, we're just counted as righteous, right? Just counted. The righteousness of Christ has been applied into our account. And so who are we to not live a life of humility? Number two, don't let your guard down. The reality of sin is it's crouching. It's ready. And it's ready to pounce. And just because you're a Christian... Guess what? The target is bigger on your back. Oh, how Satan would love to take down someone who says they're a Christian. How he would love to take down a church. A denomination. He has. He has taken down those who have said, I believe, or we are. Because guess what? They... They did not take sin seriously. And if you, if you don't take sin seriously, how can you love grace? If you don't see a black sky, how are you going to know the twinkle of the stars? 
If you don't walk into a dark room, how are you going to know that the light when the light comes on? The light overcomes the darkness. And you don't know light if you don't know darkness. We cannot be thinking that our profession, our baptism, our membership frees us from the schemes of Satan. It only amplifies his desire. And for the sake of time, how do you how do you fight against it? Read Ephesians 6 this week. Put on the armor of God and fight against the schemes of the devil with the armor of God. Read Ephesians 6, 10 through 18 this week. So lastly, and I'll go through this quickly, what is your motivation? So notice here, uh, to live out your faith, what is your motivation to live out your faith, to practice, to perform these acts of righteousness? What's your motivation? And remember, I'm not, we're not calling you to stop praying in public. We're not calling you to stop giving to the needy. He, Jesus tells us in Matthew 5, verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. You are a light of the world. You are a city on a hill. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. So notice the difference from the, the hypocrite and that one who has a holy origin, a holy motivation of good works, that who gets the glory? Father who is in heaven. The Father who is in heaven. This is not a call to, don't pray. Don't, this isn't saying, this isn't an excuse to only pray in your closet. This isn't an excuse only uh, to, to just give when no one knows about it. This is telling us to not be hypocritical. What is your motivation? Uh, so the, the three big words, I think, in this verse are very small. In order to. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. And what is it, when we read the rest of this section, what, are we, what is the person wanting to be seen by them? They're wanting a reward they're wanting a pat on the back. They're wanting to be praised for their righteous act. Not for the glory of God. Not, not, to, not to imitate Christ. But in order to be seen and to be praised. The question when you... The question is when you're seen practicing righteousness. When you're seen doing good deeds. When your faith is on display... Why did you do it? Now here's the reality. We're going to fight this till the day we die. I'm not expecting for this sermon to end and you to walk out and your motivations to be cleansed. No way. Not happening. That's why I'm telling you. That's the point of the beware. Right? That's the whole point. Be on guard. We spoke, about the, we spoke and we sung about the resurrection of Christ. We spoke about our future resurrection. There will be a day when you practice righteousness in pure righteousness. Pure. Undefiled. Untainted. 
your righteousness will be presented as Christ's righteousness was lived out on this earth. You have to, you have to believe that. You have to hold on to that. Because if I keep telling you, beware, 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 you're going to get tired of hearing me say, beware, beware, beware. Because it's a long, hard battle. But when you hold on to the hope of the day of resurrection, and in a twinkling of an eye, that sin, that heart, that deception, completely gone. Who will deliver us from these wretched bodies of death. Thanks be to God through Lord Jesus Christ. Let me just say this. I'm going away from what I'm finishing here. This is the last thing I want to say. The next verse is Romans 8.1. In your long, hard battle and waiting for that day when there is no more sin, you have to rest in knowing that your condemnation, your guilt in Christ is gone forever. You do not have to work for your righteousness because Christ accomplished it. He did what you could not do. And He has freely given it to you. And it will never be taken away. And because of that, you stand tomorrow and you go, I'm going to practice that righteousness. I'm going to give. I'm going to depend upon my Lord and pray to Him. I'm going to seek to become more like Christ as I'm not going to eat today. You're going to want to practice the righteousness that has been given to you. That has been earned on Christ's account. But until that day, you are condemned no more. Condemned no more. A son and daughter of the King. So do not be discouraged, but take heart that Christ has won the victory already. And it's in Him we exalt. In Him we seek the glory. Amen? Amen. Let's sing one more song.